Hello and welcome back to Maximum Sports. I am your host, Max Patillo. So glad you're back joining me. Such a great week of the NFL. Very entertaining. A lot to talk about for sure. Thank you so much for joining me again. I appreciate all you guys' support, everyone listening. It's been really fun just to see the listeners start to slowly build up and getting more and more attention so you guys you you're my greatest advertising so you want to tell people about the show if you enjoy it you tell your friends and family and they can listen too and i just appreciate you guys so much we're gonna get into a bunch of key games this week we're gonna get in you know where did where did elite defenses go i'm wondering that kind of uh gm decisions of course we're always talking about that and we're going to talk about how expectations change how we think of quarterbacks or really any players but and that might include some money i don't know money talks and we'll see how it goes but thank you so much for joining me and without further ado let's get right to it So recently I read this book, it's called, I I highly recommend it, it's called Range, and it's why generalists thrive in a specialized world. And to summarize kind of, it's about how, you know, specialization in any kind of walk of life, whether it's sports, you know, kids thinking they need to specialize in just one sport to get really good at one and have a chance, as opposed to playing many different sports and how we kind of think of like a Tiger Woods example of where he specialized from basically when he was born and became the greatest golfer of all time. But that's just a very sort of outlier case. Whereas many other of these athletes, you see like a Russell Wilson, great baseball player, great basketball player translates to his football career. A lot of the soccer players become great NBA players. Like many different sports can help improve your game. And that's actually more the case than these outlier cases of where people specialized. And actually specialization can cause a little sort of a narrow focus on talent and and mental ability, not just in sports, but in business as well. It's a really interesting book. It's called Range. Highly recommend it. But it got me thinking about kind of what we talk about on the show so much is I think people kind of write off maybe certain podcasts or maybe certain media as, you know, I could see NFL teams kind of thinking, oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. They're just fans. But really, we might have a better perspective than even these coaches, GMs, even owners who they're basically so specialized. They are so focused on their teams and especially with the players, maybe their relationships with the players and just focusing so much and that narrow, it's like you're in a a tube in a vacuum almost. You can't quite see the bigger picture. And I think as fans, we get to kind of see that perspective, that bird's eye view of these teams. And it seems like we can kind of make better decisions because of it. 
And, you know, I, I look at a lot of the way these teams are run and the decisions that are made, whether it's coaching hires, GM hires, uh, the way they draft in their players, the quarterbacks they're sticking with. And a lot of it doesn't make sense from a, from these fans perspectives. I mean, you've got the two teams in New York right now, the giants and the jets are absolutely the worst teams in the NFL right now. You've got the, all of New York. Well, thankfully the people in Western New York have Buffalo, but that's a small city compared to New York city, right? You have all those fans that are just basically writing the NFL off in a way. I mean, those poor people, they have to watch the Giants and the Jets be terrible for what seems like a long time. I know the Giants won a couple Super Bowls, but that was about a decade ago. And every year they're just awful. And there's really no explanation for that in an NFL where you just need to hit on a couple players and you're going to have the opportunities to do that. You can sign guys. Everyone has the same salary cap. Why are you this bad for so long? So it's it's shows like this and other media, you know, pro football focus is a good example. We're trying to help these guys out. Yeah, we're not GMs. We're not coaches. We're not the ones scouting or signing these guys. But it seems like the decisions, it's like uh, most people knew Dallas shouldn't franchise tag Dak. You know, most people knew the Vikings shouldn't pay Kirk Cousins that much money. Most people knew these things, but these teams still made those decisions. And so it's almost like they're in such a vacuum that they don't. There's an example of uh, in the book uh, range where scientists have actually been problems they couldn't solve. They actually put it out on the Internet for just everyday people, see if someone can solve it, whether it's these mathematical equations, engineering problems, scientific studies. And they actually have people, it's not their job, but they're just sort of freelance scientists or mathematicians. They're able to solve it. And a lot of it's because they're not so narrowly focused that they miss perspective. And I think that's what happens with some of these GMs, some of these owners. They get so caught up in guys like, you know, Jerry Jones, he probably loves Dak, you know, and he drafted him and he's a great story. And he probably maybe got too personal, but the, uh, the guy is, he's not good enough to earn that type of money. And yet he stills making it. And it's those kind of decisions where relationships, fans don't have relationships with the players. We just want them to play well. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have relationships, but you got to be able to cut that off when it comes to business and winning. Now, we're going to talk about Seahawks Cowboys, but you look at Bill Belichick. I mean, that guy loves his players. He he does. He gets along with them, and they they have a great time. But he knows when to cut it off when it's time for business. He'll cut you. He'll trade you. It doesn't matter. He's traded tons of good players. Doesn't mean he doesn't like them or love them or, you know, you can't feel bad. These guys are making millions of dollars. Let them go play in other cities. Let you just have to make decisions. I know you're uprooting families and stuff like that, but hey, these guys are going to be okay. This is their dream to play football or, or at least it should be. 
this is the business. You got to win. You got to do, you got to make the decisions. It can't be based on whether you like a guy or not. And so that's what I think happens a lot of times in this league. That's what we talk about on the show a lot. So Seahawks Cowboys, good example. I mean, the Cowboys, you watch that game, they're they're probably better at every position level except one, and that's quarterback. Now, Jerry Jones, his son, Stephen Jones, has probably, he's done an excellent job recently of bringing in talent there, wide receivers, offensive linemen, great running back, key players on defense, and all of a sudden, the Cowboys have been good at scouting and, and finding great players. And I think that's the shift between Jerry Jones and his son. But I would love to t- sit down and talk to Stephen Jones and see if he really wanted to keep Dak. Because I'll bet you he knew better. But his dad overruled him, and they kept Dak. And they franchise tagged him, and it's just another year squandered. Because y- you look at that game – and I, I know we've talked about it a lot. The Seahawks won, even though all those positions, that's how important the, the quarterback position is. And, you know, Dak and Russell, they make the same money now. And one team chose to, they make about the same money. Russell makes slightly more, but, you know, Dak's making 31 million. You know, I think Russell makes about 34, 35. So one team chose to pay a premium for the right guy and the other didn't. And, you know, I've always said uh, there wouldn't be that much of a drop off if the Cowboys started Andy Dalton and you'd have enough free money to sign probably two elite corners and maybe another pass rusher or a linebacker, which is kind of the need on Dallas's defense. I mean, you, you heard that right. Not signing Dak to the franchise tag and going with $3 million Andy Dalton would leave you with about $28 million more money, more dollars, which you could pay, you could allocate to your terrible defense. And that, you wouldn't need Dalton to be better than Russell Wilson necessarily. You just need him to be as obviously as good as Dak was in the game. They were close. But the, de- but the, the difference was that defense could not, stop Wilson just a couple more times. Their corners were terrible. They have only one good pass rusher, Alden Smith. And if they had all that money to allocate, they could improve that defense and be just fine. And But now all of, all of it's allocated to Dak. He's not good enough to outduel a Russell Wilson. You know, he has fumbles, interceptions. He actually played pretty well, and that's because the Seahawks defense is almost is pretty much just as bad, if not worse, than Dallas's. But he couldn't get it done, and he choked at the end. And they Russell Wilson on the uh, on the other opposing side. I mean he he drove down. Everyone knew he was going to score. Sure enough, he did. Couldn't stop him. Got the two point conversion, no problem. And that's why he is a premium quarterback. Basically, just him and Mahomes. Who's worth that money? And, you know, maybe throw Rodgers in there now. We'll see. But, you know, if you play it right, too, you, you could you could have traded Dak. Probably got a first-round pick for him because there's there's teams out there that would make that mistake and, and give you that for him. Quarterbacks get a high trade value when you trade them. So they could have got a first-round pick 
and save 28 million. And can you imagine that boost to that defense they could have gotten, or maybe even another offensive lineman, whatever uh, that would put them over the top to be able to beat a Russell Wilson. You don't have to have the better quarterback. If your roster is allocated correctly, you know, that's why these rookies are beating great, highly paid quarterbacks a lot of times because they're cheap. And now, I mean, Dallas, you franchise tagged him. You're locked up to him for this another year. And you, you squander this year. And I bet you're going to start one and three because uh, I'm, pre- I'm predicting they're going to lose to the Browns next week. So this is what we said about Dallas. This is what's happening to Dallas. And I mean, hey, maybe start listening to the show, you know, get, get I'll, I'll tell you what's going to happen. And it turns out it's happening. So maybe the fans know a little more than than they think. So another another big game was last night's game, uh, Baltimore and case Kansas City. I mean, that that was an epic showdown and it just fell into that same narrative that is starting to haunt Lamar Jackson. And I think that, you know, it's obviously can it's all AKA. Can he pass uh, when the defense knows he has to, can he play from behind? And this is how I thought this game was going to unfold. And sure enough, it did. You know, you you think the Ravens have this elite defense. They can maybe stifle Mahomes. Not the case. Offenses are just too good now. Mahomes is too good for that. You're going to have to slow him down somehow. But you're going to have to have a quarterback that can outduel him. And Lamar Jackson, as good as he is, as talented as he is, he can't come from behind. It's like they were up 20 to 10. And it seemed like there was no chance, even though most teams can just come back easily from that. Just seemed like the the Chiefs, it was over by then. Once they had the lead, even with the Chiefs defense not being that great, Lamar Jackson just can't make enough explosive passes downfield when the defense knows that's what he's going to do. And that's the difference between these premium quarterbacks the Russell Wilsons, the Mahomes, the Rodgers, is when the defense loads up on you in an obvious passing situation, especially when you're having to come back, you're trailing, you got to score quickly, can you still make plays when that's the case? Because anyone can, when they have a touchdown, two touchdown lead, the defense doesn't know what's coming. Because you can slow the game down, you can run the ball, you've got time, you've got all these mechanisms, the playbook's wide open. But when you're down by a touchdown or two, you're going to have to throw, the defense knows it. Can you still execute when the defense knows what's coming? And the narrative so far is that Lamar, once he plays the really good teams, can't quite do that. He doesn't have that in his bag. And that's going to be something to see coming forward. Can he overcome that narrative at any time? Can they be good enough to not ever be behind and have to come back? Um, you know, he's 0-2 in the playoffs. Because that that's a big reason why. Because you're going to face teams that know how to stop you. And if they get the lead, 
you're done. And, you know, as good as Lamar's been, MVP last year, are they going to pay a guy who can't come back from deficits? I mean, you look at even Dak, he, 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 even he can come back. Uh, but, you know, if you can't pass well enough to, to come back when you're behind, is that going to be worth premium salary? I mean, I'm guessing Baltimore, they're just so in love with the guy and the story and how lucky they got to draft him. They'll pay him the world probably. And we'll see that going forward, but is he worth it? He's not, he's not my premium class, my premium class. There's only two guys. It's Russell and Mahomes because they can do it all in any situation with any roster. But is he, is Lamar one of those guys who on any roster, like if his line deteriorated, do you think he could carry a team with his passing and no blocking? I don't think so. So that'll be a decision we're looking forward to soon. So another key game, Green Bay Saints. Another epic clash, a lot like a lot like Kansas City, Baltimore. I mean, you could see those being conference championship matchups. And, you know, Green Bay goes uh, to New Orleans and pulls out a, a pretty amazing victory. And Aaron Rodgers is playing elite again. He might, he's going into kind of that class of that top tier quarterbacks. And Drew Brees just kind of isn't. And that was kind of just the difference in the game. Breeze is regressing a little bit. His arm looks tired. He he doesn't have enough explosive play in him deep down the field. And the Saints got a great defense. The Packers have a great defense, but they just can't. They're not good enough to really stop each other. And, you know, that, that kind of leads me into my next uh, segment, which is, you know, is this the end of elite defenses. And I've been kind of wondering this ever since basically 2015, 16, you know, when you had the, the Denver's, you know, after the Seahawks and you kind of had the seem like Jacksonville was that for a little bit when they were dominant defense. And then maybe, you know, the Niners were, were pretty much like that, but you know, they got, they got torn up when they played Russell Wilson and they when they played Mahomes in the Super Bowl. So they're not really in that category, but just these elite defenses that really just no one is going to move the ball as consistently on. Are those kind of gone? Are those a thing of the past? And I think there's a lot of a mixture of reasons for that. But, you know, you look at that Green Bay and Saints game, those are supposed to be two pretty good defenses. You know, you got 37 to 30. It's just these really high scores constantly. You don't see the games anymore where it's, you know, 14 to 21 or 17, 13. I mean, you do every once in a while, but it's mostly because the offenses are bad, not because the defenses are excellent. So, you know, one of the reasons is obviously the rule changes. You've got, physicality and coverage has basically been taken away. You got punishment down the middle of the field uh, where basically wide receivers didn't used to even want to cross the middle of the field because if they caught a pass there, they were going to get decapitated and they knew it. And it was legal back then. 
And now they can just attack the middle of the field, the entire field, all game, and guys just can't crush a defenseless receiver anymore. It's just a penalty. And, you know, the way they're protecting quarterbacks now, that's been a huge difference because offenses have gotten much more complex and creative. I mean, mostly because they don't have to worry about keeping their quarterback safe because the refs do that now. So you can run your quarterback wherever you want. You can do all these screen plays. You can do all these motions and option routes, all the college game, basically, because in college, they never worried about protecting the quarterback as much because they weren't paying them millions and millions of dollars. So they could expose the quarterbacks more and and they could get hit. And now that's available in the NFL. That's why so many of these college offenses have come in because they realize the quarterbacks are safe now. You know, a Russell Wilson, a Lamar Jackson with the run pass option games and the complex offenses they run, they're, they're more exposed. Every time they fake those handoffs or roll out the quarterback, the defenses have clear shots at them and they just can't take huge, they can't take their huge hits anymore. So it's, it's just been a big change and slowly over time, these offenses have gotten much more complex and and they're just beating these defenses consistently. It's almost impossible to stop sometimes. And, you know, the NFL, that's what they wanted. They want, you know, offense sells and, People just generally want to see offense and people, I I just thought, I always thought it was funny because I really love great defense as well. I like a blend. I I probably lean towards wanting to see better defense and tackling and hitting more than like explosive passing and all that. But you, you talk to most fans and they'll see a game that was seven to three and they will say, oh, what a terrible game. But I see it like, wow, that was elite defense. And, you know, Seahawks, as a Seahawks fan, we used to see games like that all the time. It didn't matter who we were playing. Aaron Rodgers, he couldn't score 20 points on him. Uh, obviously, he saw Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl. He couldn't, couldn't score more than eight points. And it didn't matter which offense how elite they were, they weren't scoring. And that's what elite defenses is, are. And so I just, uh, I miss those days kind of, but, um, you know, fans for the most part, they want to see big pass plays. They want to see wide open guys. And I guess not as much hitting, but for me, I just, I kind of miss that, that defense, but you know, also no crowd noise. I mean, you talk about Aaron Rodgers going into New Orleans and winning. That's an epic accomplishment, but there is no crowd noise. And that's just a gigantic um, advantage for offenses where usually these guys travel into these crowds. The offensive linemen can't hear, and it, it just gives that pass rush just a dominant presence in the game. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers winning in New Orleans isn't quite the same as winning when there's crowds. So hopefully, hopefully someday the crowds can come back and we can see the defenses be a little stronger because of the that crowd noise. I mean, even in Seattle, like 
Dak when they were down, you know, 15 points, the crowd would have jumped all over them. And I mean, they would have probably squashed out Dallas a lot quicker. But without that crowd noise, those offenses just have a huge advantage on defenses. So there's a, there's a lot of factors, you know. Um, you look at the the Ravens kind of thinking they were going to be an elite defense, but, you know, last night we saw I mean, Mahomes just picked them apart. You know, the Niners, were they going to have elite defense? Coming out the Super Bowl last year, they, they were probably one of the closest teams to having that great defense, but, you know, even in week one when they were fully healthy, Kyler Murray just ate them apart even when they were healthy. Now they're not. Uh, the Bills, maybe, but, I mean, they gave up 32 this week to Jared Goff. I don't know if their defense is necessarily – it's not elite. There's good defenses, but, you know, defenses can be good in spots. I think the Bills are one of them. But, you know, I, I kind of look at the Patriots and Tampa Bay may have the best defenses in the league. And it's funny because they're carrying Tom, Cam and Tom again, you know, and <laughs> there's those two guys again, like who's going to be better, you know, Tom Brady, he left a, a defense from last year that gave up 14 points a game. And I saw that stat that they, they gave up four passing touchdowns all of last year, the Patriots. All of last year, they gave up four passing touchdowns. And Tom Brady left that. And, you know, Tom Brady could not elevate the offense even to – uh, win with a defense that was only giving up 14 points a game. So, you know, you look at Cam and Tom, they're, they're like on this like parallel path with great defenses behind them. And it's like, yeah, everyone thinks Tom's the goat and he's just unstoppable, unbelievable, but he's, he's older and is Cam going to outplay Tom? That would be just baffling, but it would be a, a real blow to Tom's legacy. I think if Cam Newton comes in and replaces him like that. So I'm just interested to see how, how the, the road goes, but they're both, both those teams are two and one and we'll just see in the future, how, how it keeps going. We're, we're monitoring that for sure. I want to talk a little bit about how expectations change uh, how we think of players and a lot of those expectations, it, you know, a lot of it comes from money, you know, you get paid. There's a different level of expectation. You're no longer just a surprise. It's like you better produce once you get paid and you, you look at like a Gardner Minshew and a Dak Prescott, how much better is one than the other? It's hard to say. I mean, with the Jaguars, as bad as their roster is, and Minshew comes in and plays really well and actually wins some games, that's a total surprise. And it it's like if Minshew plays well, it's it's just a shock and it's it's like, wow, this guy's awesome. Look what he's doing with this bad team, and he's a late round draft pick, and hey, it's just all gravy for him. If he loses, if Minshew loses like they did this week, uh, you know, we expected to kind of be a tanking team and there's no expectations. There's no pressure on Minshew. And so it's 
must be pretty nice to play that way with no expectations and no pressure. And you have to decide if your quarterback, not only you're going to be allocating all that money to them, but can they handle the expectations? You look at like a Carson Wentz. I mean, we're going to get to him in a second, but man, guy has not handled the expectations. And so Minshew and Dak, now Dak's been paid. Whereas the last four years, he hadn't. He didn't have huge expectations. He still didn't perform even with low expectations. And so now he is paid. And man, I mean, you know, he had a bunch of fumbles last week against the Seahawks. He had a couple bad picks. And the moment just seems a little too big for him, especially at $30 million a year. So those expectations change. You look at like uh, Kyler Murray. You know, he was the number one pick. It's a little higher expectation, but no one expected the Cardinals to be that good this year. And so he he's still growing. He still has some slack, you know, given to him. And he's performing well with kind of that low pressure. Whereas Jared Goff, you know, for his first few years, he he did he did okay. And he made it to a Super Bowl below expectations. It was kind of a surprise. Wow. Now they give him the world. They give him huge money. Now the pressure's on. And Goff has not really delivered last year. And we'll, we'll see about this year. But there's a lot more pressure. You're the guy now. you got to make it happen. You just, you're not part of the, the wagon anymore. You're, you need to be the horse pulling the wagon. So that's the pressure you have. You look at when the Eagles and the Bengals play each other this week. I mean, you would just think on paper, look at the Eagles. They, How have they deteriorated so much where they can't even beat the Bengals? Tie game, that that's just awful. You've got a, a quarterback in Wentz who's making $34 million a year, and he's going up against Joe Burrow, who's also the number one pick. He's got some expectations for that, but... He's not paying, being paid that much, and everyone knew Cincinnati was going to have a rough year just because of their roster around them. But they take the Eagles right to overtime and a tie game. And here's Wentz. He's basically rated the worst quarterback in the NFL right now, according to Pro Football Focus. And they, they grade uh, every pass, and they grade turnover-worthy plays. So – you a quarterback can throw the ball and they grade even if like a defender dropped an interception or it should have been picked off it's called a turnover worthy play so Wentz has double the next closest person on turnover worthy throws he's the lowest rated quarterback in the league right now Carson Wentz who I mean at one point was an MVP candidate in his second season he has just dropped off a cliff and it's kind of coincided with when he got paid. These guys just drop off. And that's why I just still think you just have to be so selective on who you really give the world to money wise. You got to know, you have to know without a doubt who you've got. And I told, I said on this show, paying him, I said last year, Paying him was a mistake. I wouldn't have done it because he had the injury history. That was my biggest thing. He's got the talent. I didn't think he was going to be in his own head like this and play terribly even when he was healthy. 
but I wouldn't have paid him just with the injury history. And man, it's proven to be right again. You know, these guys, you can't just pay anyone just because they're your guy. You got to be willing to say goodbye. I mean, the Patriots, they were finally willing to say goodbye to the greatest quarterback, the most accomplished quarterback ever. And they haven't dropped off at all. Cam Newton's just fine in there. Cam Newton's making like $2 million. And he's they're, they're going to be just fine with him at the helm. Don't be afraid to move off these quarterbacks. I'm telling you, Brady, as great as he is, he has always had great defenses, great running games, great coaching, great offensive lines. And over the last 20 years with the Patriots, he has executed and achieved beyond people's wildest dreams. But if we could go back and plug someone else in there, someone may be close. There's definitely been more talented guys. Cam's just on a team now where the structure is in place for them to win. And even a guy like Cam Newton, who's been distracted in the past, who's been just underachieved in the past, is succeeding. And it's because of who he's got around him. And you tri- you swap these guys around and see how their careers end up, and you'd be amazed. Let's see if Tom Brady could be the number one pick and go to the Carolina Panthers and see how well he would have done in Carolina in his career, as opposed to Cam Newton if he would have gotten drafted to the Patriots and see where he would have gone in his career with the coaching of Bill Belichick or Josh McDaniels, great offensive lines, great personnel selection. And, you know, it would just be fascinating if you could go back and change history. You have to have that context when you're talking about these players. And, you know, even on the same team, the Niners, Mullins comes in. And yes, he was playing against the Giants. You got to have that context added on. But he dominated. And it was in Kyle Shanahan's system, Nick Mullins. Making probably a minimum salary. And Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt. There's no drop off. But Jimmy Garoppolo costs 27 times, 28 times as much as Nick Mullins does. And so now you're paying a guy who really can't stay healthy in Garoppolo, even when he does play. Is he really that special? And you're paying him like he is. And now you can't afford a bunch of other positions and you don't have the depth anymore to sustain even with injuries. So it couldn't come back to bite you. We'll see. But thank you so much for joining me. I think that's going to be our show for this week. Looking forward to next week. We're going to see what we learn, see how the cookie crumbles in this league, you know, see how these narratives develop and man, it just, is so fascinating and hope you guys are all doing well out there. Thank you so much for joining me again. Really appreciate it. And I will see you guys next Tuesday. All right. Take care.